You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, church. That was good. Welcome to Kingsway. If you're visiting with us, you picked a really good time to be here. We're talking a lot about what does it mean to be a church and, and where are we going as a church. And so it's a really good time to kind of evaluate and hear some things. So real quick, uh, I just had surgery. It's been, I think, nine weeks or something, maybe 10 weeks this week since my surgery. Doing well. That's not the point. I was on my way to physical therapy, though. And because my family was sick, uh, one of our church members, a lady named Patty Beavers, she was supposed to come over and watch the kids. We did a little switcheroo. And instead, she drove me to PT. We had a great conversation talking about all of you on the way up and on the way back. And some of you, y'all need some help. I'm just kidding. That's not what the conversation was about. No, 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 no. It was the exact opposite, the exact opposite. Uh, we were talking about just how blessed we are to be a part of Kingsway Christian Church. I don't know if you, yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, truly, um, I mean that. So this is our 50th anniversary year. Did you know that? Yeah, right? And um, we're gonna talk more about that. Yes, we're gonna party like it's 1999. I don't know why that's a big deal. We partied better back then. Anyway, we're gonna party, we're gonna do all that. But I was just celebrating to Patty that I stand on the shoulders of so many who've come before us. And uh, we're sitting here in a, in a massive room that was built before I got here. This church was began before I was even born. You think about that. There were 27 people, nine families, who were a part of Chapel Rock Christian Church 50 years ago. And that church desired to see God do something in Avon. And my understanding is Avon at the time was a little farming community and people would come here for the Pizza King and go home. I don't know exactly when that happened, but for those of you who've been around for a while, that's the stories that I hear. I don't know exactly when that happened. And as God would have it, these 27 people would later go on to hire our first senior pastor, a guy named John Caldwell, and, uh, and we would be birthed. And here we are sitting, sitting, we're standing on the shoulders of this people that have given generously and been a part of the ministries in this community for 50 years. And I was just reflecting on all of that. Yeah, let's stop and give God the glory. Just thinking about what God has been doing here. And should Jesus not come back anytime soon? And World War III doesn't take us all out, right? Like, what would it look like 50 more years from now? Well, I know this, I know this. We've been talking about the church and what does it mean to be a part of the church? And um, there's this one verse I just wanna stop and focus on for a moment. And here it is, Ephesians 3, 21 says this. To God, it actually says to him, but the him is God, so I took it out so you can see who it's talking about. To God be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen. Don't you hear a country song in there? Forever and ever. All right, it's my best country accent for you. Anyway. I get the feeling he stole that there, not the other way around. All right, so glory. We've been talking about glory for the last few weeks. And glory is like anytime you put a characteristic of God on display and everybody just stops in awe, that's called glory. And there's many ways that plays out, whether it's giving God the glory or God's glorious praise or glory be to God or whatever it is. But God shows up in a moment and we want God to do that in his church. But the word church, as I told you last week, in the Bible is actually the word ecclesia, the word we have today called church actually comes from an ancient goth work word uh, where it comes with kirka and later became kerch and then church. It kind of changed and morphed over time as it got into English. But that's important because the word church really refers more to like buildings and the word ecclesia refers more to gatherings. 
And this is why, again, as I said in the communion thought, Paul could call us the body of Christ. This is why Jesus could say, we're two or more gathered in my name, there I am with you. And what's super, super powerful about that is we want to be a church that brings glory to God in all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's what we want to do. That's why we've said our mission, our mission as a church is to become more like Jesus. Now, it's easy to say, hard to do, hard to measure, but the goal is that we would keep evaluating our own lives, our own hearts, say, God, what does it look like to be more and more and more and more and more like you? Now, when you think about the church for a minute, there's really two churches. There's, and I'll just tell you up front, but there's the global church and then there's the local church. The global church, for those of you tracking with me, is made up of every believer, of every people group, language, and nation to the ends of the earth. So this is what's really cool. You can go to another country. I've done this before. You can meet people you've never met and you have a commonality with them. You meet believers in other countries. They don't speak your language. Their skin looks different than you. They have a different education level than you. They have a different, uh, whatever, financial status than you. But you meet them and all of a sudden you could sit at a meal with them and have amazing conversation about God and life and the world and what they're experiencing. You could pray together. There's this fellowship of connection between believers. It's super, super cool because it's made up of a global church. Now, for those of you who don't know, I'm going to do Church History 101 in 30 seconds, which means it's not enough to be interesting, it's just enough to bore you. So this would be a good chance to take a quick nap, come back, join me in a minute, all right? Here we go. So when uh, America was kind of launching as a nation, there were all these different churches coming. In the early American days, the churches were very, very divided. They, they were all over the place, and you could literally find names on churches uh, that, that were so descriptive of who could and couldn't attend. And they would have names sometimes that were three and four and five and six and seven words long just to clarify whether you were able to worship with them. And there was something called open communion and closed communion. And open communion was like, hey, as long as you're a believer, you can have communion with us. Closed communion meant you gotta be our brand of Christian to be here. And there was a lot of Americans fighting about that. Well, there was a group of guys, there was a father, son, and they met some other people. And a lot of them were coming out of Presbyterian and Baptist backgrounds, but they had a variety of backgrounds. And they started looking at the early church that was so divided and fighting over who was best and who was right and who was wrong and who was in and who was out. And they said, man, this is not what the church is supposed to look like. So they rallied around something called Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at that in a minute. But in Acts chapter 2, what we see is the early church basically birthed right there in Acts chapter 2. Acts 1, like Jesus died on the cross and the Spirit comes. Acts 2, the church begins. And this group of men just started asking, what would it look like if we were to uh, go back to Acts chapter 2 and develop ourselves around Acts 2? And so you'll notice when we gather at Kingsway, what we try to do is fulfill Acts chapter 2 in our midst every single week. That's what we try to do. And again, we'll look at it in a minute. But that early group of people, they called themselves the Restoration Movement because they were trying to restore the church to Acts chapter 2. You may notice, because we live in the mecca of this brotherhood of churches, uh, there's tons of churches in our area, but there's churches like Plainfield Christian Church, Traders Point Christian Church, Indian Creek Christian Church, Connection Point Christian Church, and, and the list could go on and on and on. These churches were all out of the same brotherhood. It was about unifying. It was not about dividing. Now, ironically, as that movement moved on, they divided into three separate churches. The churches of Christ, non-instrumental, the disciples of Christ, and the Christian churches. And the reason I went to my right and to my left is because the churches of Christ, non-instrumental, tend to be uber-conservative. The disciples of Christ tend to be uberal, uberal. That's liberal and uber at the same time. 
And then the Christian churches tend to land somewhere in the middle, holding the tension of these things. And I say all of that to say that one of the founding statements that came out of our brotherhood was this. We are Christians only, not the only Christians. And what that means is a lot of people identified what kind of Christian they were by the name on the building. We're a Baptist, we're a Southern Baptist, we're an American Baptist, we're a Lutheran, we're a a Methodist. And what our early church founder said was, we're just going to be Christians only. But that's not intended to be a judgmental statement. That is not a statement about who's better than who and that kind of thing. It was supposed to be a statement that just says, look, we just want to identify ourselves, not by all the other practices or all the other things. We just want to identify ourselves by Jesus Christ. And so there you go. That's church history 101, the background of where Kingsway Christian Church comes from. It's in that grouping. But that gets us to the local church. The local church is made up of a group of believers who agree to gather together in a specific location to serve each other and build each other up as we continue to fill God's will to the ends of the earth. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. So we accept that we're not the only Christians in Avon or Hendricks County or Indianapolis or Indiana or the world. We know that. We want every Christ-honoring church that's bringing glory to God to succeed wherever they are. There are a lot of issues that we absolutely cannot compromise on. I'm not even going to go through the whole list. We have a statement of faith. We will not compromise on the lordship of Jesus Christ. But there are a lot of issues we can sit around and talk about and debate all day long, and that's fine. Let's do that. But I'm not going to call you out because you don't agree with me. If you want to be wrong, so be it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) True story, true story. This week, uh, I went to Starbucks and a local pastor from another church who believes some things I don't believe They're secondary or tertiary issues. They are not salvation-related issues. And I saw my brother, and I just said, man, how's it going? And had a quick conversation, and my heart was heavy because of the things he was quickly sharing with me. And I'll leave those between us. But all day long, I just started praying for him, praying for him, praying for him. Well, it was a uh, two-coffee kind of day, so I went back to Starbucks a few hours later, and he was still there working on his sermon or whatever he was working on. I said, man, I've just been praying for you all day. My heart's been heavy. We had more conversation. He lets me know they've got a big meeting that night, and man, I'm going to be praying for that meeting. So all night, I'm checking. That night, I'm texting him. That night, like, man, I hope your meeting went good, but praying for you all day. Give me a heads up. Next day, he's like, yeah, we're really good. Thank you for praying for us. Man, that's the attitude that we want to have towards other believers, right? Like, it's okay that we disagree about these issues. We got these ones we're in agreement on. Friday, uh, normally my day off, but I went to lunch with another guy. He used to be a church planner in our community, and now he works for a church planning organization. And we went to lunch Friday, and man, he is—he is—he he thinks philosophically different about the Bible than I do. We had a great conversation. I love to get together and be like, "Tell me, tell me how a guy who thinks about the Bible like you would answer this question." And I just love to pick his brain. And we're sitting there, and at one point, he looks at me in the middle of the lunch, and he goes, "Hey, you're—you uh, know—you're starting to sound a little more like me." I said, "No, no, no, no. Careful now, careful now. I'd, I've already decided you're wrong. You're not going to change my mind." And we're just loving each other, encouraging each other. He's going to come in and speak to some of our leadership staff about what he's doing in the world and how we can learn from them. I love that we have that kind of relationship because we are a local church and we're going to do some things locally, but we want every Christ-honoring group to win in our community to the ends of the earth. And that comes right out of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So Luke, where we've been studying, we're going to pick up at the end of the series again. Luke wrote his first book, the book of Luke. Then he wrote a second book, the book of Acts. So Acts picks right up where Luke leaves off. So when Luke, Jesus dies on the cross, he gives the disciples a great commission, and then Acts picks up there. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says to the disciples, 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and at the ends of the earth. And then it happens. So they go in the upper room, and it says these like tongues of fire came down and rested on them, and they became filled with the Holy Spirit. Fifty days after, after the, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus um, is called Pentecost. And all these Jews had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, one of these major feasts from the Old Testament. And Peter and the apostles get up and they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they just start to preach Jesus, calling people to repent and be baptized. And people start coming to faith in Jesus left and right. It's just crazy. In fact, 3,000 people are baptized that day. 3,000 people, crazy. You're like, how do you know that 3,000 people were baptized? somebody counted. See, we talk about numbers sometimes in the church and people go, well, I don't understand. It's not about numbers, it's about people. Well, did you know that numbers represent people? Also, did you know there's an entire book in the Bible called Numbers? Just throwing that out there. Okay, let's talk about numbers for a second because this is super cool. Over the last three weeks, not counting this Sunday, we'll see. Over the last three weeks, we have had on average 427 more people on average per Sunday than we had a year ago on the same Sunday. Yeah, can we stop giving God the glory? That represents a 47% increase from the same time last year. Now, we grew throughout the year so that by the end of the year, we were up over last year. I don't know what got us up to. In fact, I can't wait to see the number because this room in last service, the numbers were pretty full. The room was pretty full. I don't know what it'll be. But last week with the snow, we saw it go down a little, and I suspect it's going to be back up. That represents somewhere between 13 and 1,400 people. It's a little different each Sunday. It's a little higher, a little lower, depending on the exact Sunday. And I think that number is super cool. Because if you look towards me and then you look down, you'll see on the front of the stage all these names written on the front of the stage. If you were to leave this room and go past this pillar up top here and this pillar over here down on top also, you'll see names all over those pillars. There are between 1,300 or 1,400 names written in this room and on those pillars. And what happened if you weren't here last week is we ended our service and just said, has God put somebody in your life that's far from him that God wants a relationship with? It could be your son or daughter. It could be a son-in-law or a daughter-in-law. Everybody knows son-in-laws need Jesus. I mean, I am one. Tell me about it. It could be a parent or a neighbor or a coworker, And then just start praying for them. My family's been doing this. And here's one of the things that happened last week. As a leadership team, as a staff, we each took a section of names. I had the back lower part pillar. That was my section this week. And uh, Kyle Krober, who led us through this, he he just challenged us. Like, just go through and pray for those names. I don't know if anybody in here knows this or not, but I'm not the most detail-oriented guy in the world. And so if it weren't for people like my wife, Rachel, my assistant, Rachel, not the same Rachel, or, or Danielle, or Megan, or Christina, or, or Brett, if it weren't for detailed people in my life, uh, we would not be the church we are. Praise God for other detailed people. So first, I'm praying over these names, and I'm just like, yes, thank you. Uh, my wife would be clapping, too, if that wasn't her. Anyway, um, <laughs> as, I'm praying, as I'm praying over this pillar, at first, I'm just kind of doing a prayer. Like, I'll just pray over each side, because like, what, I don't know these people. I'm going to do the same name. Like, it's weird. Like, I don't even know them. And I started working through the first part, and I got about halfway down one side, and all of a sudden, God impressed on me names of people in my life who have fallen away from him or don't know him. And I just started to really choke back a lot of emotion. I mean, the allergies were strong in the room. And I got out a Sharpie, and I wrote their names down. 
And I started praying over them by name. And I went back and I just started going through every single name written on that part. And what dawned on me is I don't know them, but God does. And I may only be saying out loud, say Billy or, or Jane or, or, or Kelly, but God knows exactly who they are and exactly what's going on in their life. So I decided, like, I, don't, I don't need control in this moment. God does. I'm supposed to be his witness, his partner with him and what he's doing in this world. I can tell you, it was a powerfully emotional moment. And at the end of our service and at any time you want, you can write a name. We'll keep these markers up. Let's just keep praying and see what God does. But here's what happens next. The, the apostles filled them with the Holy Spirit. They stand up and they start preaching. And all these Jews have been dispersed throughout the world because of the various things that have happened in the hundreds of years leading up to this moment. And so they come back now to celebrate this feast and they all speak different languages. The, the languages we have today wouldn't be the languages they had back then. But if you just imagine it in our context, some, someone might speak German, somebody else might speak French or Spanish or uh, Pig Latin or whatever they might speak, I don't know. And they show up and Peter stands up and the other apostles stand up and they start proclaiming the good news of Jesus and everybody hears them, everybody understands them. And 3,000 people are baptized and you put that together with 100 disciples or so, 120 disciples that we have already and a, the church is born. And then it tells us in the next chapter, Acts chapter two, this is what the early church looked like. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So look, this is like a whole sermon series. I don't have time to go too deep, but this is why every Sunday at Kingsway, we're gonna open up God's word and we're gonna almost always, almost always find something in the New Testament because that's the apostles' teaching. And we're gonna dedicate ourselves to that. Fellowship is a weird churchy word. It just means the community of believers. See, you can grow up and sit in a row, but it's not as powerful as if you grow up and get in a circle. Because in circles, that's where lives get changed. That's why we push so hard for rooted and why we push so hard to get in a group. That's why we push so hard to get involved in serving and in connection and missions trips because you take where you're looking at the back of someone's head and you get smaller and you get into their lives together. And the breaking of bread, they would do these things called agape feasts. That's why I always encourage small groups to make food a part of what you do. And agape feast, agape just means love. It was a love feast. And if you didn't have any money, you didn't have any resources, you'd come together, the early church would feed you at least for one day. But then they could talk about what's going on in life, pray for each other, encourage each other, and they always broke bread then. So they're gathering on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, and they're breaking bread and celebrating communion. Now look, a lot of people do communion different. Some do it you know, six times a year or, or three times a year or once a year. And, and in no way am I saying those people are going to hell because they do communion different. That'd be crazy. What I'm saying is we read Acts 2, we see them do it on the first day of every week, and we're just gonna follow that trend. So that's one of the markers of Kingsway. We do communion every single week. And they dedicated themselves to prayer. Now, what came out of that was verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. What that means is they made sure that no one had a need among them. So if somebody came among them and was like, man, I, I, I can't pay my bill or I'm whatever, whatever. My son, he's been arrested. And does anybody have any access to the leadership to help? Like if something happened, then they could come together, solve the problem together. And that's what the early church called the church. In fact, the next verse says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I just slow down for a second here. You ever read the news 
What in the world are they always fighting about in the Middle East? Land. It's like, it's ours. No, it's ours. You know, sometimes I think like Iraq and Iran are fighting. It's spelled with a Q. It's spelled with an N. I don't know what's going on, right? That isn't really what they fight about. They're just going to spell it iPad and just become a United States. Anyway, all right, moving on. That's not funny, is it? Nobody laughed, like 10 of you. Okay, but the early church, they saw the needs of people around them. And they went, hey, you know this land that was given to Abraham that we've been claiming and fighting about with you know, the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans? Yeah, what if we sell it? You're gonna what? This is our inheritance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why don't we sell it? Why would you sell it? Well, because some people have needs. That is mind-boggling. But it tells us the early gathering of believers stood out for their generosity. Go back to that other verse real quick, Danny. Notice here, it says, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. There's something different about that early church that's directly tied to, connected to all the things that we just read, but specifically, the way that they live out their lives every day. Other people look at them and go, wait a minute, I'm ready to kill that person for this land and you're just selling it? Well, why wouldn't I? This world is not my home. What that doesn't mean is we don't need houses and we don't need cars. Of course we do. We need houses. We need cars. You've got to keep a roof over your head. You've got to feed your family. You've got to get to work, right? But whenever they had extra that they didn't need, they made sure that everybody else who didn't have what they needed got their needs met. Now, jump with me two slides, if you will. What that means in the very next part is this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And it just makes me wonder if the world is craving to meet a group of people who are so different in the way they're unified and so different in the way they view this world that they're attracted to it, that they go, gosh, I don't know what's different about them, but I'd like to know. I'd like to be a part of it. And God is up to something in our midst, guys, and I don't know what it is, but it is fun and it is exciting but the only way it's gonna stay that way is if we keep coming back and aligning our hearts and our lives and our church with what God has already said he expects from us. And this is the part that really jumps out at me. So if you keep reading the story and you get to the next chapter, we meet a man, his name is Joseph, but the early church gives him a new name. Let me just show it to you. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. So a Levite means he was in the serving tribe of Levi in the Old Testament and the Levites were the ones who had to work in the temple. So Joseph... He's a Levite from Cyprus. Now, what's interesting is Levites weren't allowed to own land. Huh. But Joseph is a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So somewhere, somebody in his family history, because the Levites aren't allowed to own land, owned land and deeded it over to him or you know, passed it on to him somehow, whatever, and so he owns land, and he becomes one of these people. Now, first of all, we're often quoted the passage, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, or don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. This, Jesus says that. And what that means is, see, the Pharisees, when they come into the temple and they're worshiping, they often will make a big deal about, look at this massive bag of gold I'm dropping into the temple to worship, and they'd put it in there so everybody could see them. And Jesus says, you want to give in a way that God recognizes? Don't do that. Don't do it in a way that you draw attention to yourself. 
God's already given you a reward in full when you get the praise of men. But if you want the praise of God, do it in a way that nobody knows. But see, what's powerful here is you go, well, how do we know that he did this? Well, it's not because Barnabas went around going, I'm awesome, <laughs> I sold a land. No, it's because Barnabas was so regularly a son of encouragement. He was so regularly a person who encourages what God is doing in the work that they literally changed his name. The people singing his praises are the apostles and Luke, not Barnabas himself. There's nothing evil or sinful about somebody being impacted by your life and celebrating what you've done for them. My family's life has been forever changed by so many generous people. I couldn't list them all. It'd be like watching those movie clips where the actor gets up and he won an award and he's trying to read all the things and make a statement. There's not enough time. That's what this would be like. You know, but my parents, my in-laws, Stephen Susan Road, and you Patty Beavers, who I mentioned, there have been so many families. Tim Cologne, there's, I mean, I, I, gosh, I literally, I'm just, like, every time I don't say a name, I fail somebody else. There's so many people in this church who have been so generous to us, I would love to nickname them, re-nickname, son or daughter of encouragement. Would you like to have that name? What would it be like to be such a generous giant that your nickname is son or daughter of encouragement? I'd like that. I think it'd be pretty cool. That's so. I've been telling you for this relentless pursuit thing, we wanna talk about the why before we get to the what. So now I wanna spend my remaining few minutes telling you about the what. What is relentless pursuit going to do? Well, as I've been telling you for the last couple of weeks, we're attempting to raise $6 million. And before you go, six million what? We have a $3.1 million annual budget. That's how much you guys have given generously for I think three or four years in a row. It's been like the exact same number, almost to the dollar, you could track it. And it's so good, thank you so much. Thank you for your generosity. We are impacting the world. We want to do some significant work in the world to move God's kingdom forward. And what I've said is here at Kingsway, we desire to leverage our gatherings to their utmost potential and bringing people to Christ building them up in the faith, and sending them out to make a difference in their world. That's what we want to be as a church. We want to be an Acts 2 kind of church. That's why, through Relentless Pursuit, I'm going to give you some details. So hopefully you'll be able to follow me. There's so much to say, I cannot say at all. I'm going to say some this week, some next week, and we'll say more as we go throughout the next year. But through Relentless Pursuit, we will invest in outreach to the ends of the earth. Remember, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Right now, as a church, we give roughly 10% away of every dollar you give in. It goes out to various partners around the world. Speaking of around the world, I don't know if you know this, here's a map of the people we support around the world. So we have mission partners in Peru, and Mexico, and South Dakota, in Egypt, in India, in Ireland, and I'm missing one, Dominican Republic down here. And we literally support all these ministries. And they wouldn't go without us. I'm sure they could go to other churches and other believers and other places and find dollars and find resources, but we do significant work in all of these ministries. Did you know that? When we gather, we're actually taking part in the global church to the ends of the earth. Not only that, but we have a bunch of local ministries and partners too. And so it's harder to put all of these local ones on a map. If you'll go to the next one. There you go. Uh, but here's the names of them. And they're located mostly right here in Hendricks County around Indianapolis, like Hope Healthcare and Sheltering Wings and Shepherd Community Center and Wheeler Mission and Family Promise. And there's others. And so what we want to do as a part of Relentless Pursuit is we said we're trying to raise $6 million. So 10% of that, simple math, $600,000. It's not everything we'll do, but we don't know exactly what we'll do. 
until we find out how much is going to come in. It's, we can't go to our partners and say, we're gonna give you this much money because we don't know what the number is yet. So it's really hard to talk details. As the church works towards a place of commitment, as the dollars start coming in, we're gonna together look and see what God is up to and then we're gonna celebrate like crazy, like it's 1999, all that God is going to do through us. Remember, it's a three-year campaign. So it's not all gonna happen in the first six months. It'll happen progressively and I'll tell you more about that as we go. But what we're finding in these conversations as we're having these with people is different parts of this plan get different people excited. Some people get super excited about that. Some people think we ought to give 100% to that. Other people think we shouldn't give anything to that because these dollars are given here. We need to do some work here. Let's put it all in here. And we want to be a church that does Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. So we're doing all of those things. The second category is our debt. And what we said is through relentless pursuit, we're going to reduce our debt by 33. Oh, sorry, I didn't say that right. 33% of the total given will go directly to debt. That's the better way to say that. Sorry. So if we end up raising $10 million, that's a different number. If we end up raising $4 million, that's a different number, right? Whatever we raise, 33% will go to debt. And some of you hear that and you go, yes, Ramsey, that bad boy. Come on now. <laughs> and others of you go, why would we waste money on debt when we could do so many more things for our mission partners around the world? Let me just show you. There's lots of things I could say, but let me just say this real quick. Okay, so here's a chart that kind of shows the situation. So roughly, I think it was 18 months ago on ballparking, um, we refinanced our, our debt with CFR, who you've seen on our stage. And they're a great lending partner. We love them. They help us in so many ways. At that time, we had $9.6 million of debt. They gave us an interest-only loan for a season. And when that loan kicks over, it'll roll into a 4.5% interest rate. Some of you are already bored. This is your nap time. I get it. But some of you are eating this up because you didn't know. Now you know. So... This rate is locked in with them, regardless of what the market does. We did that at the outset of the relationship. And so when it rolls into that, we would have been spending roughly $63,000 a month just on debt. Now think about that for a minute. Our goal of our five-year plan was to pay this down 75%. Part of the way we did that is we sold plain field land and we put that money on there. So we currently set around $8.1, $8.2 million left. But if we were to pay it down to just half when it rolls over, so this represents about half. We, 475 was the, the amortization chart we ran, so it's close to 4.8, right? Ballpark in here. So what that represents is half. I know, it's hard math. No math at Bible college. But that represents a $32,000 a month payment. So just simple math, that's roughly $30,000 a month that we're putting right back into ministry and not into debt. That's why we're looking at selling Avon land Again, the church has to vote to approve that, but we will be bringing that to you hopefully soon for you to vote and approve that. Millions of dollars will go on to that. And then through a relentless pursuit, 33% of whatever we receive will go to that because that's gonna free up a massive dollar amount that we can now invest back into God's kingdom every single month. Now, last category, 57% of whatever comes in will go to improve our building and property for maximum kingdom impact. Remember I said we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us? Well, for 50 years, we've accumulated a over 200,000 square foot building and over 70 acres of land. Praise God, not many churches get those kind of resources to invest in the local community and for the glory of God, and we get to. And we get to ask a series of questions about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Well, part of that investment is gonna come in this room. So I got some pictures I'll show you, but pictures aren't everything, but I'll just show you a couple of pictures. So it's hard to make this one out from where you are, but this is our speakers. So if you look up, you see these up here. These speakers are ballpark 20, 
23 to 25 years old. Give, I don't remember exactly what year they were bought. I think it was 1999 was the last time we did a massive campaign when these were purchased and installed. And you may show up and go, well, they work just fine. Well, that's because our team is so good. They make them sound just fine. The reality is we have a lot of problems because the rest of the technology, like our sound boards and other things, they're so far advanced beyond these, these aren't keeping up with technology well. They don't always build new technology to adapt backwards, in case you didn't know. Not only that, but our cameras, which are here in the back of the rooms, uh, these cameras we purchased right when I first got here, so they're around 11 or 12 years old. I don't remember exactly when we got them. Your iPhone is probably significantly better than that. And if we were to use only that, you may notice we installed some cameras. Uh, I don't think we have one up over on this side, over here on this side of the stage to help with that. But these cameras just can't keep up anymore. And what we found is over 75% of everybody who comes to Kingsway, they date us online before they come and date us in person. It's like eHarmony, kingswaychurch.org style. And the vast, vast, vast majority, it's going more and more and more that way as we go, which is why we know we have to make the quality of what people experience online better and better and better. Otherwise, they're going to look at us and go, ooh, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. We want to have maximum impact and leverage what God has given us for his glory and his kingdom. Not only that, but you guys don't know this, but every Sunday, <laughs> we are fighting off, staving off a massive electrical failure. So here's a, you can get a picture. This isn't everything. The last electrical upgrade in this room was also about 23 to 25 years ago, depending on exactly when that was done. I wasn't sure I wasn't here. Um, but we are constantly duct taping this room together on a Sunday morning. There are Sundays we're praying, dear God, let us be able to have services, please. And our team reboots computers and gets it to work. This whole room needs an entire electrical upgrade. For those of you who work in that field, that will make more sense to you. But you just get an idea for how bad it is. So um, that's part of it, but that's not everything. That's just the stuff that will happen in this room, and I'll talk more next week. But let me tell you real quick, because we're about to have 100 to 150,000 square feet of that space to invest in our community in a new way. So best thing I can say is this is phase one. In phase one, we know we're going to do some things in this building. We don't know all the details, but let me tell you what I do know today. In phase one, we are researching and gathering data to assess our community needs. We've had a number of conversations. We've talked to community leaders. We've talked to sports ministries and, and opportunities. And, and, and we've talked to DCS and sheltering wings. We are literally going to anybody in our community who will give us an ear and say, what does our community need? Now, with that, we found some things. Like, we found that there is a 98% um, filled rate of daycares in Avon. That means when families go to find daycare in Avon, 98% of them are full. And if you don't have the right kid at the right age and the right thing, you can't even fill that last 2%. And so people are leaving Avon to look for daycare, which means a two working parent home who's already stressed and overwhelmed with their schedule, they have to drive all over the place instead of having something local or close or even loving of Jesus. So what we've said is we've got, we've got some partners we're talking to. We're going to launch, hopefully, by fall of 2023, a daycare in some of that space. Now, in all of this, it's really crucial that you understand one thing. I don't have this passage, so just trust me and look it up for yourself. In the book of James, James rebukes the early church. James says, you should not say next year we're going to do this or that. Instead, you should say, if God wills, we will do this or that. What I can tell you right now is this is, if God wills, we are gonna launch a daycare in the fall of 2023. We have a lot of work to do in the building to get it ready. 
once um, KCS has relieved some of that space, we can't even get in there to start working on it until June, July. Whether we're able to get that done or not, it's gonna be up to God and his will. If not, we'll shoot for January, and if not, we'll keep going until God reveals his plan. Now, the other thing we're looking at is we're gonna launch a Christian counseling center, hopefully, hopefully by December of this year. It'll be small at first, and we hope to grow into it. Over the last few years, we have spent tens of thousands of dollars coming alongside of broken marriages, people who need kid counseling, people who are addicted to something or they're suicidal or they're depressed. We've come alongside them. And when we can help as pastors, we do. But as you can imagine, with a room that's growing all the time, the need is greater than the pastoral staff can carry. And so what we've done is partner with a number of organizations. We're saying, what would it look like to have godly biblical counseling offered here that the community could come to and have their needs met? All those churches that I'm building relationships with all the time, Time, what if they could come alongside and help and send their people here? We hope to launch that in the beginning. It'll be have to develop. And then lastly, we're working on a master site plan for the entire property. I'll tell you a little bit more about some of the things we know next week, but this is a constant process that needs prayer. Now, you can learn about all of this. Just go to www.relentlesspursuit-I said that wrong. Relentless-pursuit.org. So if you're watching online, just... Go ahead and go there. You can grab that later. And you can find out more information about all of this. All right. That's so much information. My brain hurts. I don't know about yours. So I'll take a deep breath together on three. Ready? One, two, three. All right. Good. Good. Now let's answer this question. How do I be a part of Relentless Pursuit? I'm getting asked that a lot lately. Okay. Me and my family, we're wrestling with this. And we sense God's telling us to do something. What do we do? I want to tell you I'm in the same process. My wife and I are in. I don't know what that means yet. My wife and I thought we had a number last fall. We kind of talked about it and said, okay, we'll go do this. And then I had surgery, and then we had a number of other medical things, and all of a sudden, you got bills coming in you didn't expect, and how's that fit in the budget? And so really, my wife and I right now, we are both praying separately, and we're gonna come together this week and say, all right, what number is God giving you? Is God giving you a number? And if those numbers are the same, awesome. Then we know what God said. And if it's not, I really hope I was bigger. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) My wife is one of the most generous people I know, and she always makes me look like I don't have enough faith because she is such a, a spiritual giant. So seriously, I want to look at one passage of the Bible. I want to give three really quick tips for you as you're praying about whether you're going to take part. Here it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Paul says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is really simple. For those of you who don't farm, I don't either, okay? So I, could, I do not have a green thumb. I have a black thumb. I will kill whatever comes to me, okay? So here we go. If you put one seed in the ground, how many plants should you expect to get back? One. If you get lucky and God blesses. Because you can't control the rain, you can't control the sun, you can't control the soil, you can't control the bugs or the worms, or you can't, there's a lot you can't, you can't control the local rabbits, you can't control your kids running through your garden, there's a lot you can't control. So if you put one seed in the ground, you're just taking a chance. So what all Paul's trying to say simply is, if you wanna grow a garden, you don't put one seed in the ground. If you wanna grow a field or, or, or a forest, you don't put one seed in the ground. So how much should I put in the ground? It's just a principle. If you want to grow more, you put more in the ground. That's it. So the only point you take away from that is whatever you're gonna put in the ground, just remember you will reap directly the harvest with which you put in the ground. That's the whole principle. So it means not, what's the least amount I can put in? It's God, what do you wanna do? That's the question. The verse, second verse, next verse, verse seven says this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. 
In other words, and I love this passage actually, God is not looking for anybody to feel guilty and go, ah, oh, oh, Pastor Matt said I gotta do something. I guess I gotta do something or God won't love me. I don't, you know, whatever it is, right? That's not at all what I'm saying. That's not it at all. God wants us to see ourselves as conduits through which he can do his work in this world. And so it's more of an attitude of, God, I get to take part with you. Not, oh, I guess I can't go on that really big fancy Bahamas vacation, right? No, God, I get to take part with you. So different people are gonna do this in different ways. But as God is stirring and you're wrestling with him, if your heart's not in it, then slow down and ask him to do something. God, would you either change my heart or change the number or change something? Some of you are gonna have tension in your marriage. I'm already hearing about it. Like, man, my desire is not to create tension in your marriage, but it is to push you to seek the face of God. There is a part of this that takes just rational thinking. My wife and I are looking at real numbers. I can't give and put it on my credit card. That's not God's money. That's somebody else's money I'm spending. So what is a realistic view of what I have? But then I don't wanna stop at realism. I wanna go, what's a realistic view with God's faith that I could do? What does that look like? And that leads us to the third thing Paul says, verse eight. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. All that you, all that you, all that you, all that you, every. Like, I think he's trying to say something here. His point is very, very simple. If God is in this process, you'll have enough. You'll have enough to feed yourselves. You'll have enough to meet all your needs. You'll have enough to do all the things that God has intended for you to do, and you'll have enough to give away. Because if God, yeah, you guys, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. Because if I tell you to clap for that, it feels weird. So if God is in it, then he can give you every dollar you need. I've got more stories to tell, but I'll just tell one. So again, we had these bills come up we weren't anticipating, you know, at the time, but I knew I had to do this surgery. And I was like, Rachel, I don't know if we're gonna be able to afford this. I don't know what it's gonna look like. I don't know, I don't know what we can do. We need to talk about it, we need to pray about it. And I got a phone call one day from, a, uh, from somebody asked me to come and speak at a camp this summer. And I have no idea what they're gonna pay me, but I know they're gonna pay me something. And I was like, oh, wow, God. Like, I hadn't planned on receiving dollars that are gonna be coming in. The dollars that, I don't need those dollars. I make enough money to feed my family now. Those are dollars that I can commit. Am I gonna have to work hard and sacrifice energy to make it happen? Of course I am, but God's got a path forward for us, just like he does for you. All right, so... What does that mean? Well, in a moment, some people are gonna come around and hand you a card. You, I want you to do nothing with the card, but take it home and pray about it. But here's what half the card looks like. Watch how cool this is, ready? Bloop. Is that cool? We're working on that all week, all right. So the card is gonna look like this. And I just wanna walk you through what the card will look like because you don't have it in your hands yet, and then you'll get it. You can pray about it, talk about it later. So the first thing is this card is just like, if God is moving us, here's what we wanna do. This thing here, <laughs> isn't that cool? This thing here, it literally just says, what do I give to Kingsway right now? I need to stress something because a couple conversations I had after last service, I have no idea what you give to this church. I don't know. I don't look. I don't want to know. I've told Ben. Ben has to know. He manages our money. But I said, Ben, I don't want to know because whether I'm meeting our biggest giver or I'm meeting somebody who hasn't stepped into giving yet, I want to treat everybody the same, really mean and sarcastically. So don't, oh, come on, nobody. I want to love everybody the exact same. So I don't treat anybody any different. It does not matter to me. One iota. It's between you and God, truly. 
So what this says here, though, is, hey, this is how much I normally give to Kingsway. And then on that line, though, you've got to multiply it by three because it's a three-year campaign. So here's what I normally give, and here's what I anticipate we're going to give over the next three years. That allows us to think about this because if you just go write the same number, that it doesn't tell us if it's more or less. Like, we don't know. And this can always change. Life changes, but it's just your best guess. Here's what we see. Here's what we think today. So this next one down here <laughs> is, I'm way more excited about this than anybody else. <laughs> This, this next one down here is, uh, is but you're, you think God is calling you and your family to give over the next three years to relentless pursuit. And it could come in a variety of different ways, but let's just say that you think you're gonna give $2,000 a year for three years, and so therefore it's $6,000. You would write that $6,000 in that line over there. And uh, then this next one down here is from um, Gifts in Kind. So some of you have uh, retirement accounts or lending things. We have the ability to help you with that. You might have land like Barnabas you're going to sell, and it's going to become a part of this, whatever it is, right? And you would then take those two categories and add them together and put it down here. <laughs> Look at that. And that would be the total for Relentless Pursuit. Now, we're not going to collect these yet. We've got two weeks. We're going to do this on the fifth Sunday of this series, which is two Sundays from now. We're going we're gonna to have a big worship service. We're going to bring them down like first fruits, gifts to God. Like, boom, here's my commitment. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be so exciting. And so I just want you to start thinking about this and praying about this. There's no guilt. There's no compulsion from Matt Nickerson. I'm going to love you the same because I'm not going to know what you gave. We're just going to gather together. Now, when you walked in, you were given uh, another prayer card for this week. And uh, you will notice... This week is specifically about what does God want you to do. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna start just by praying this prayer to Jesus, and then what we're gonna do is pray a passage in Ephesians back to God himself. Ready? Let's pray. Oh my God in heaven. Um, There's so much information, God, to take in and process. Some people are visiting with us for the first time, and what's running through their mind right now, Father, is... uh, I knew it, I knew it. All churches really want is money. But God, we don't want money. We just want to impact lives here in Avon, in Hendricks County, in the west side of Indianapolis, in greater Indiana, in the United States, and to the ends of the earth. And God, we're gonna do everything we can to invest every dollar you give us generously for your name and for your glory. So here's our prayer, Father. Heavenly Father, Would you continue transforming Kingsway Christian Church into something beautiful? Make me brave to join you in what you are doing in this world and specifically in my church. Reveal to me and and my family how much we should give to Relentless Pursuit so that this vision will come alive and impact many. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. In Jesus' name, all God's people say.